Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your ginger host, Mackenzie, and Autumn is still away on a theater contract, so she will be out for a few more episodes this season. But fear not, she will return in time for our big 50th episode extravaganza. And she and I have set up some wonderful, terrific guest co-hosts to fill in for her. And for this episode, I'm excited to announce I am joined by my friend and none other than the Dungeon Master himself, the returning guest from Beauty and the Beast. It is the one and only Denny Brandt. Hello, Denny. Hello, Mackenzie. Was that a good autumn impression? That was a very good autumn impression. <laughs> She'll be very proud of that. <laughs> oh, it's good to be back. Hi there, Mac. <laughs> Hello, it is good to have you back. We've wanted you back for a while and you answered the bat signal when we when we put it up in the sky. Oh dang, to be compared to Batman. Wow. I am the knight. Swear to me! Oh, where are they? Where are the musics? <laughs> Where's the technique? Where's Harvey Dent? <laughs> well, we're not talking about Batman today. We're talking nope. about another superhero. One who is highly acrobatic and seemed to be stuck in a cursed superhero musical. Denny, what are we talking about? Well, uh, your podcast could not use their Spidey sense to dodge this one for very long. So today nope. we are doing Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Can't believe they didn't use that song in the show. I know. Like, there's a lot I, of there's a lot of plot questions I have. I I feel it's on paper it sounds like it's not a bad idea, just horribly executed. <laughs> and I mean this this show also comes with a very specific reputation as well. Yes, one of the worst disasters of Broadway history. <laughs> And yeah, I just w had to do it. Yes, Denny. So tell us, why did you choose this music? When we pitched you the idea of co-hosting, this was the first show you were like, this is a show I want to do. And well, Autumn was like, I'm happy to miss this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was funny, like, years ago when you guys were, like, starting this up. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, if I can come on, I would love to do Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. And Autumn was just like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the reason I wanted to do this one is more of a, um, I guess, a sentimental thing for myself. Okay. Because um, you and I both attended York University doing yeah. uh, theater, uh, studying yes. theater, and uh, myself specifically studying set and costume design. Right. Um, and for my final culminating project as part of that program, the show I chose was this one. Oh, um, I remember seeing, I remember visiting you in the design studios. Yeah, yeah. And so I taught myself how to do digital illustration on this uh, on this project. So I designed cool. costumes in the style of like music superstars. So like Spider-Man looked like a mixture of Slash and Steven Tyler. And I made Green Goblin <laughs> look like a Gene Simmons, David Bowie hybrid, which I still think my design is way better than the Green Goblin in the show, though. These are like my first digital illustrations, so they're not perfect, but they they were fun. Sounds for interesting. Sure. 
Yeah. And then I made like the stage design, like feel more like a concert venue than a theater. Like I had yeah. barriers along the front. There are projection screens on the left and right for close ups, visible amps and metal truss. And yeah, so this um, the, I got to know this musical during that project where I had to watch a bootleg then mm -hmm. as well. I mean, I'd never did any such thing. Um, but what? furthermore, <laughs> furthermore, though, I'm a big fan of Spider-Man. I've loved the character since I was a wee kid, um, having first played it in like the N64 era of video game yeah. consoles. And I remember to this day, like the mission was find the Daily Bugle. And I had to run downstairs and be like to my father and my aunt who was over. What's a Daily Bugle? And they're like, oh, that's like a newspaper newspaper place. I'm like, OK, I don't know what that looks like. So I'm just going to go back to playing my game. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I've got a lot of memories associated with the character. I relate to him a lot. And I'm super hyped for the new movie coming out. No way. Oh, home. my goodness. Yes, that will be coming out. Maybe mm. even right around when this episode comes out. Ooh. Talk about timing. Exactly. Exactly. So then, Denny, when you were picking your design project, did you know about this musical beforehand? Or was this kind of something like you kind of like just Googled cool design musicals and Spider-Man came? Because I will give it its credit. It does have very cool design to some of the stuff. Some of the characters are horribly designed, looking at you, Blizzard. <laughs> but yeah, like the set's really cool. And I like, I, like, I like the idea they had of like making it look like a comic book. Yeah, it very much had that like graphic novel mm -hmm. type of feel which yeah i and i agree about the lizard that was that was bad a um, giant inflatable dinosaur thing horrible like, in my design like i just made him look like marilyn manson i was like let's just That's freak this guy up give him a tail bada yeah. boom, bada -boom um, bada -bing. green goblin's costume i think is the well no no i already forgot about the lizard green goblins is almost the worst costume in the show <laughs> yes what did, what did your Green Goblin look like when you designed him? Oh, yeah. Like I mentioned before, he like a uh, a mixture of uh, Gene Simmons and uh, David Bowie. So he had like the giant, giant, like fluffy green hair, like hair metal band style. Nice. Um, the I didn't make him like look grotesque or anything. I just colored him like skin green, um, right. yellow eye contacts. Uh, and his he kind of had like armor more like uh like Gene Simmons, I guess, like, a, okay. And it was like purple and green. And, uh, he more felt reminiscent of, um, oh dear, the Goblin King from Labyrinth. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But in terms of whether I knew about this musical before this project, I don't, I don't think I did actually. Like okay. I was given, I was given a list of musicals and you know that I'm not, as musical savvy as I'd like to be. Yes. Um, I know a lot of the big names, but yeah. So I got this list of musicals to choose from for this project. And I was like, there's a freaking Spider-Man musical. I wonder um, what was on that musical list that you could have chosen from. Oh man. I don't, I don't even remember. I was just like honed in on that one. I was like, I get to design Spider-Man. Well, yes. that's a cool idea. Absolutely. It's a very cool project. But yeah, okay, perfect. So then I came to this show uh, through like Good Morning America clips, the Tony Awards, uh, and then I did watch like a bootleg version or some of it before I turned it off. Uh, I can remember following the reports of the show trudging its way to opening night, like 
it was a big story when it was trying to get to opening. It was always delayed. There was an accident, all that stuff. And I remember my dad just going, can't they just wave the white flag and like, <laughs> a day? I mean, they're going to kill someone if they keep on this track. And they almost did. And we'll get into that. But yeah, and, yeah. And then like, I just remember not being very enthusiastic about this piece. But then Danny, you picked it. So I was like, okay, let's do this. Bring it on, Spider-Man. Like, I am ready to, you know, um, take on this, to take on this piece finally. And I did. And I came out the other side. <laughs> and I'm also glad we didn't pay to see this. Oh, God, no. I never would have paid to see this shit. <laughs> if you cannot tell already, Denny and I are not the biggest fans of this show, but we are going to talk about it with open minds and open hearts. I mean, I'm probably a little bit more, like, tolerating of this piece yeah. than Mac is. But yeah. that being said, I don't think it's a good musical, and I don't think it should have happened. No. No, absolutely not. I mean, I mean, well, we'll get into it because we'll read the because we're going to head into the plot description. And I mean, on paper, these plots don't sound terrible. Like they, they, have, they have, there's a decent skeleton. It's just horribly, horribly executed. So, Denny, when we when we go through this, I will point out spots where they misstepped. Um, oh. So, Denny, let's give a take note there, and let's just say that there are two versions of Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark. Yes, indeed. And I'm going to be covering like from beginning to end, like the second version. And then uh, afterwards, I'm going to point out the big changes from the first version. Love it. Um, And for anybody who's seen like Sam Sam Raimi's 2002 Spider-Man movie, this plot. And also Spider-Man 2 as well. They they pull off from Spider-Man 2 as well. Oh, yeah, that's you know, that's true enough. Um, But yeah, the, the plot's kind of follow a lot of uh, yes. similar things, um, which in comparison to the first version was probably a good move. Um, yeah. So yes. kind of getting into this. So we follow the story of Peter Parker, a classic mm-hmm. high school nerd and photographer who experiences bullying and he thinks that he's a loser. He has a crush yep. on the popular girl next door, Mary Jane Watson. Yep. Um, and as the, the the show kind of brings us in, uh, Peter gives a report about a spider goddess named Arachne, and we get introduced to some of the supporting cast. The students then go on a high school trip to a genetics lab run by Norman and Emily Osborne. Yes. While there, a genetically modified spider escapes, and the lab is put into lockdown. Amidst the chaos, Peter is bitten by the mutant arachnid. See, all that's a great start. Like, that... Totally works. I love the report at the beginning about Arachne. I thought that was a really neat way to kind of get into Peter and showing like his his nerdum, as it were. Mm. Like all that was really great. I didn't mind them going to the lab and having Norman be in the lab and like he and having him doing all that. That all makes total sense. And the fact that you can see like elements of like that could have been like basically Norman in this one is almost like Doctor Octavius from the second one. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what they've they've melded the two of them together. They've taken the, the the origin of Doc Ock and given it to Norman Osborn. Yeah, because yeah, I'm cause... sure it's probably easier to make the Green Goblin than Doctor Octavius on stage. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! If they could, if they could make it work, that would be yeah. so great. Um, but yeah, so Peter gets bitten by the spider, and the next day he awakens to find that he has spider-like superpowers. And that was a really cool scene: the bouncing off the walls. Oh. That is that is one of the better numbers of the show. I will give it that. I you know what? When I watched this the first time, 
like that bouncing off the walls. When when we decided we were co- going to come back to this, that was the only song I remembered. I was like, that was that a good song? It definitely stuck in my head. Staged um, really well. It staged superbly. Yeah. So yeah, a- um, after he discovers his powers, he we go through a series of events showcasing his newly found confidence, mostly mm-hmm. a sequence of beating up his bullies. And then Peter decides he needs to buy a car to impress Mary Jane after seeing her being driven to play rehearsal by his main bully, Flash Thompson. Yep. Um, Peter then goes to enter a wrestling match to win $1,000 against Bonesaw McGraw, where we have a hilarious sequence of him beating up a blow-up doll. Um, oh, so annoying. <laughs> and after returning home with his winnings, he finds that Uncle Ben had been shot by a carjacker. See, this is so dumb. I'm sorry. I, I, I gotta stop <laughs> Yeah. Like, like they didn't set up Uncle Ben properly. Like, like, they, like Peter and Ben should have had a duet before he died. There should have been a little bit more build up to that death. Like, like they should have done more with the Ben. Like, he should like Ben Uncle Ben should at least have a solo and a duet somewhere in that before he dies to really build up the emotion behind it. Yeah. And the fact that it's not Peter's fault that Uncle Ben dies is the hugest misstep because that's the whole drive of Spider Man is that. He could have stopped I, the carjacker. Yes. But he doesn't. And it's like he just comes home and Ben's being shot randomly. It's like, no. And Peter goes, Oh, the universe is random. Oh, I gotta save everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I should have been like stick to the original version that Uncle Ben's the one that drives him to the to, to, to the library, aka the wrestling match, and then he's there to pick Peter up and he gets shot. Like that like that two thousand and two OG Spider Man. Did a perfect origin setup, but yeah, like they. Uh, I, when I watched it, I actually got mad because I was like, "How did you botch Uncle Ben and his death so badly? And how is there not a song called with, with great power comes great responsibility?" Like, uh, like, there's so much rhyming you can do with that. But then we, the, but it's like there should be a whole song called "With Great Power Comes Great Responsibility," and they're like, "No, <laughs> we're gonna do Rise Above because we're edgy that way." <laughs> Um, I I do like that song though. Um, yeah. um, so anyway, yeah. So we Ben has been killed, and mm-hmm. then uh, everybody's sad. Peter is then visited by the goddess Arachne, who encourages him to use his powers for good, and then Peter vows to not use his powers for his selfish gains. And we finally get that quote: "With great power comes great responsibility." But it comes from freaking Arachne. I mean, it should have been yes. inspired by Uncle Ben. So I'm like, no, no, musical, no. Like, I love the idea of having Arachne show up throughout this as like a personification of his internal struggle as Spider-Man. But it's like, no, you focus on Uncle Ben, not on a freaking Arachne. My, yeah, my whole thing with this musical is I want Arachne gone. I want her cut. I don't want to see her <laughs> at all. Sure, that nerdy thing in the beginning, I love it. But having her come actually show up, I'm like, Get out of here. This is a show about genetics and science. I don't need yeah. no Egyptian mythology. god or Greek god Greek or whatever. Mythology. Greek yeah. Mythology. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Peter creates his iconic Spider-Man costume and goes on a crime stopping spree in New York City. And then the public becomes more aware of Spider-Man as J. Jonah Jameson and the Daily Bugle begin publishing stories about him. And <laughs> Peter is tricky and is gets hired on as a photographer after submitting some suspiciously good quality looking photos of Spider-Man. <laughs> I, I always loved that trope. That was always great. It's so good. It's so good. 
And also, I will say, Gay Jonah in this is quite good. I do like Gay Jonah. His voice is very much like... Um, J.K. Simmons? Yes. I, I, I don't know why I lost his name. But yeah, no, he was a good casting choice. Yes. So as the public becomes more aware of Spider-Man, Norman Osborn begins to believe that Spider-Man has used his genetic research to mutate himself. And we then learn that Norman has been dealing with some sort of military organization named Viper, who is just this one-time appearance in the show, but it was apparently it's because a because he's losing money. Basically, he, he's losing funding, so that's why he turns to the military-industrial complex yes, to help yes. fund his stuff. Yeah, so this is his way to get some of that yeah. funding back, but he'd been doing it behind Emily's back. And Bad so there's... Move. Yep, presenting a bit of a conflict for their marriage. Yes. And so with this, Norman begins to uh, perform experiments on himself with Emily's help. And this experiment leads to an explosion at the genetics lab, resulting in Emily's death and Norman's transformation into the Green Goblin. Oh, you know what? I actually thought it was like a very touching scene. It like, is. He, it is a very touching moment. Once again, they're pulling from the Doc Ock story in mm-hmm. Spider-Man 2. Because it is sad when, when Doc Ock's wife is killed by accident during yeah. their lab mishap. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it is It is great uh, setup. Like, like I, I, they did a good job setting up Norman Osborn in the Green Goblin. Because then in Act 2, they botched his story completely. Um, <laughs> which we'll get into. Denny, take it away. Uh, well, me, so while that explosion's happening, Peter and Mary Jane profess their feelings to each other. And then this explosion happens and Peter runs off to perform an act that will constantly be happening during the show of him running away and Mary Jane getting mad. <laughs> oh, surprise, surprise. And that brings us into act two. And this is where we get the Green Goblin fully suited up in this crazy green costume. And... Mm. He's lost his sanity, and he's begun to develop a plan to turn all humans into mutants, just as he'd done to himself. He then creates the Sinister Six using former employees that he's kidnapped. And the roster includes the Lizard, Craven the Hunter, Carnage, Electro, Swarm, who I didn't think was a Marvel villain until I actually looked it up. Swarm is a thing. And uh, Swiss Miss is the only uh, non-Marvel... Yeah. Yeah. Original creation for this musical. Looks like a cool villain, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the costumes are pretty grand. I do. I do They're like the costumes. The I I hate this composition for the Sinister Six. <laughs> uh, OK, we'll get into that because I have thoughts about this whole Sinister Six plot. Cool. We will get into that. I have thoughts when we get there. But yeah, it definitely was a major misstep. But we will get into that song in this, in this moment in the show because, yeah, I was mad. I was like. Carnage is not a scientist, he's a serial killer. <laughs> Here he is. What are these uh, people doing? A Craven the Hunter. He's not a scientist. I mean, yeah, oh my gosh, I want to talk about him too. So, yeah. Green Goblin and the Sinister Six begin to wreak havoc upon New York City while Peter takes a night off uh, to be with Mary Jane after things are becoming more serious. I like that. I like that, Cindy, because that's part of You never get to see that in other Spider Man movies here. Peter falls prey to wanting to be normal and he takes it at night off, which results in calamity. Like I, th- I think mm-hmm. that's actually a really solid concept for, for, for a plot point. I was like, I like that idea. That is a very good execution of a concept. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Peter is later informed of 
all this supervillain activity that's been going on and swiftly takes out the Sinister Six, all except for the Green Goblin. Of course. Um, at the Daily Bugle, Green Goblin tells J. Jonah Jameson to publish his evil plot to take over the world and suggests to him that Spider-Man was Green Goblin's creation. And <laughs> Jameson latches onto that last detail and begins to slander Spider-Man viciously. Mm. Peter, Peter is then revisited by Arachne in his sleep, where she tells him that he is destined to be a hero and that she is his protector. Nothing else happens in that scene. They sing a song. He's like, why? And she's like, it is what it is. <laughs> bada boom, bada bing. Five minute scene condensed to 10 seconds. Yeah. Peter begins to experience relationship issues with Mary Jane due to his constant absence performing superhero duties, which she's still not aware of him being Spider-Man, and she suggests they take a break. This leads to Peter making the decision to be more attentive to her and to retire the Spider-Man life. So more Spider-Man too. Yeah. Um, while the two reconcile, Peter proposes to Mary Jane at a nightclub, but the Green Goblin then hijacks all the TVs to deliver a message threatening Spider-Man's family since he took out the Green Goblin's family. Um, Peter takes Mary Jane back to his apartment where he then breaks off the relationship just to keep her safe from Green Goblin. And he realizes that he needs to keep being Spider-Man in order to keep everyone safe. And this is kind of leads us into the climax scene. We are then joined by Green Goblin at the top of the Chrysler building while he's playing on a piano and monologuing about his evil plan to destroy New York City. Um, <laughs> and at least he keeps going until Spider-Man arrives. Yes. And then he reveals that he actually knows who Spider-Man is. Peter then attempts to reach out to Norman's sanity within the Green Goblin to no success. The two begin to fight. But Green Goblin reveals that he has taken Mary Jane because, of course, he has. And she is in danger of falling from the building. <laughs> it's of course. Just, it's, it's, it turns into a lot of camp at this point. But yes, it does. I, I find it a little bit charming. Well, it's like every superhero ending. Yeah. Like, there's a, it's a very generic superhero ending of, yeah, we're doing this. Every, every Sam Raimi movie ends with Mary Jane getting kidnapped and <laughs> dangled from somewhere. Yeah. I know, right? It's like, is are you guys going to think of anything else other than dangling? Because, you know, no. if there's distance, he has a chance because, you know, he can maneuver through the air. It's right. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like the first one, she's dangled off a bridge. Second mm -hmm. one, she's with Oct Octavius in his lab, his, his lake lab. And she's chained to, to the metal beam that's going to suck her into the, to the vortex when it goes haywire. Third one, she's dangling from a taxi in Venom's web. Like, what a dangling. Mary Jane, you need to get out of there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Move out of New York. You're, you're not safe. Uh, oh, yeah. No, no place with high rises. No. Go uh, to, like, Minnesota. Yeah, Somewhere yeah. Somewhere flat in the Midwest. Oh, a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man theory. Yeah. Oh, that was Canadian, not Minnesota. They're kind of similar. They're very close to each other. <laughs> very close in accent. Anyway, so yes. Spider-Man and Green Goblin, they take to the skies to fight and Spider-Man ends up webbing Green Goblin to his piano, which is actually a very important plot point. Yeah, um, surprise. And Green Goblin is just like, I'm going to crush some people below and throws the piano off the edge of the building. And Spider-Man goes, oh, I webbed you to try and prevent you from doing that. And Green Goblin goes, uh-oh, and then falls to his death being dragged by the piano. so much. I like, don't Spider-Man would try it. and save Goblin. 
He wouldn't just let him fall to his death. Like, yeah. like, like Spider-Man's like Batman. They don't kill. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I've never seen, like, like, unless Spider-Man's in the black suit, which kind of triggers that more darker side of him, Spider-Man is a very wholesome character. He, he tries repeatedly to save the villains. Because all the villains usually have some connection to Peter Parker. Like, right. uh, he, he won't kill them. Like, that's the whole flaw of Spider-Man. That they keep coming back because he won't die. Um, yeah. Like, and that's part of the thing where I watched that and I was like, seriously? He just let Norman Osborn fall after webbing him to a thing that can roll off a roof? Like, how you know, dumb is this? The fact that we still had Arachne in the show, I was probably a bit more tolerant of him killing Green Goblin because I was like, there is worse details going on. <laughs> To finish off the show, Spider-Man saves Mary Jane. She also reveals that she knows who he is. Because, mm-hmm. of course she does. Everybody's figuring it out. And the two embrace. After making oh. up, Spider-Man once again dashes away to continue saving the city from crime. And that brings mm-hmm. us to the end of the show. Love it. <laughs> so Such a sweet ending. That's that's the plot of the second version okay. of uh, of the show. When when it was originally conceived and this plot continued to develop from when it opened in November of 2010 to April of 2011. Yes. And these are these are some of the big changes. So the show originally opened up with uh, the sequence of Spider-Man attempting to save Mary Jane from falling after Green Goblin cuts her rope. And we so we start with this final act style in flash forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the show opens that way, and the sh- the show originally had this um, group of fourth wall breaking narrators called the Geek Chorus, and um, <laughs> and uh, these these people were individuals who were in the process of writing the ultimate Spider Man story. So there's very much this um, meta narrative. That's not um, a bad concept. No, kind of and, fun. Considering the show was supposed to be considered like a rock opera circus, like a circus has like a ringmaster or whatever. So it, yeah. I can see it working. Mm-hmm. Um, but the geek chorus breaks the action in a few places in this script. So the moment after Peter is bitten by a spider, they have a discussion about why he was the one that was bit. Um, they also come in deciding how Spider-Man defeats the Green Goblin. And they're the ones that come up with the piano idea. Okay. Um, they come in for the creation of the Sinister Six. They're the, actually the ones that assemble them. They're like, let's use them, 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 and them. Okay. And and they come in in a few parts in Act Two. The, I just mentioned those ones because those are the ones we've talked about in the yeah. the, yeah. the 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 final version. Right. Um, and speaking of Act Two, it is incredibly different from the pa- the previous summary I just gave. Oh. So Green Goblin is actually defeated by the end of Act One in the original version. Yeah, this whole two-act show we had, that was the first act in the original version. How the hell did they do that? Oh, God. Well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Okay. So the, the other big differences are the Sinister Six instead comes in on the second act after Green Goblin is defeated. So they don't have a connection there. Okay. And this this geek chorus is trying to, like, up the ante. So it's like, okay, we've defeated the Green Goblin. Who are we throwing in next? Uh, the Sinister Six. They're a bigger right. threat. Right. Um, and then 
after the Sinister Six, it's revealed that Arachne, instead of being this uh, protector role she ended up playing in the final product, is actually the overall villain, and she resurrects the Green Goblin and the Sinister Six. Okay. That makes no sense, but okay. I'm so mad about Arachne. I'm so mad. <laughs> and don't worry, don't worry, she gets to interfere with the plot much more in this original version. So Arachne kidnaps Mary Jane, and Peter must defeat Arachne, but he cannot. The geek, the geek chorus is like, we need an ultimate villain. They chose Arachne, and she is a force he cannot overcome. So what has to happen is I guess Arachne's infatuated with Peter. So she proposes that Peter must marry her. Otherwise, Mary Jane will be killed. And Peter agrees because that's the only way to save Mary Jane. And in a deuce ex machina, this self-sacrificing behavior changes Arachne's heart. And Seriously? Yes, yes. Your and God. In finding her own humanity in this, in Peter's selfless, selflessness, she moves on to the afterlife after being freed from her spider's curse given to her by Athena. And then the show pretty much ends the way it did originally. That's horrible. That is just horrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. I'm. If you thought the show was bad, it was worse. Okay. So, so, so it is true they didn't marginally improve it. It, yes, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I I just wish they would have cut Arachne out altogether, except for that opening bit. It's like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Shows his Peter's to nerd. There's, of course, a theme of spiders. Yeah, cool. It works. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the silk weaving. Like, that, it, like, that whole way they did that. That was really cool. It is a beautiful sequence to watch. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. I'm surprised that they would... Um, stage a hanging on stage though <laughs> well it was 2011 we weren't as forward thinking as we are now true enough yeah. i guess <laughs> yeah different times are, different I, times. I, you know what there must be other musicals where a, a hanging is staged oh there's lots of musicals that i mean stage with the opera that, that's wow. like his go-to move right like he has, <laughs> that's his go-to move <laughs> He has his magical oh, lasso that, that he hangs people with. He hangs Bouquet. He hangs um, the tenor Pianji. He tries to hang Raoul. Uh, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's his go-to weapon of choice. Classic Phantom. You hang. It, it's the magical lasso. But yeah, like there's a whole bunch of stuff. Like, yeah, the hanging. But I think it's more the fact that it features a suicide in its first mm. scene. I think that's the more triggering element but once again in 2011 we weren't thinking about trigger warnings and things like that you know what yeah yeah i think you are correct it's more that it is a suicide at the top of the show yeah and this is a kids musical everybody yay yay family friendly (laughs) don't worry we'll forget that with all the swinging that happens it's true it's true the swinging the swinging will save us (laughs) yes yes so dang those are the plots and Mm -hmm. and they're and they're differ in their differences so tell us, who is the creative team behind the musical? So the team behind the musical, I also want to touch a bit on like the uh, just the the Spider-Man character overall, yes, too. Yes, absolutely. So Spider-Man is a Marvel Marvel comic book character originally yes. co-created by Steve Ditko and Stanley in 1962. And 
He is credited as the world's most profitable superhero. I can believe that. Yep. Yep. It's uh, congrats to my boy. Um, Yeah. Also, I would have thought this was the only musical about a superhero, but while I was researching all this, there are surprise. There were going to be more, but some of them did not make the cutting room floor. So there is uh, a musical called Toxic Avenger. There's there's another one called It's a Bird. It's a Plane. It's Superman. That factors into our into our production history. Stand by. All right. And then. And it's funny that you mentioned this. I don't know if you realize this, but we almost had a Captain America musical in the 80s, but it didn't make the cutting room floor. And apparently also a Batman musical, both of which were intended for Broadway. There you go. Yeah. We're like Batman would have made a great musical. And there it was. It almost made it. So the the musical influence on the show and a lot of people, I imagine, know this, but the music and the lyrics were created by Bono and The Edge from the famous rock band U2. Bono! Oh, man. It... All I think about is, is him appearing on South Park, and every time he comes in, it's that, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, <laughs> like my. Bouncing everywhere into the room. <laughs> I'm just like, Bono! <laughs> I have not watched much South Park, so that sounds hilarious. I remember that as a kid, and I always thought that was really funny. Um, yeah, so these guys had the big hand in the musical stylings of this show. Yes. The like the cast soundtrack sounds like uh, some of the songs are just straight up sung by Bono. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Um, and the book was co-written by Julie Taymor and Glenn Berger. I'm not sure if that's pronounced Berger or Berger. My bad. Um, and then Roberto Aguirre Sacasa was brought in later to rewrite the script. Yes, he was. Touching on a couple of these, Julie Tamar is a well-known director, and the yep. listeners will hear much more about her when you guys get to The Lion King, so I'm not going to touch much more That's on that. That's right. We will save Julie Tamar for her much better musical. Yes, I don't... Autumn yeah, every, does not like as much. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's going to love if I go on Julie Tamar's biography on this Spider-Man episode. Yes, right? <laughs> exactly. We will save her for a future episode, because... Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, Glenn Berger, as I'm now going to decide to pronounce his name, sorry there, Glenn, uh, is known for his work as a playwright and scriptwriter, including scripts for children's animated TV shows such as Arthur and Curious George. Those are great credentials to write a comic book musical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Roberto, the guy who came in later, has actually had some like yes, comic experience yeah. and also worked on things like uh, Riverdale and um, Glee was another of his credits too yeah um so yeah writers yeah exactly um but also glenn later wrote a book about his experience on the show called song of spider-man the inside story of the most controversial musical in broadway history i want to read this book right (laughs) like he gets into details about like working with two rock stars and a high profile director and how just everything was just going wrong. I guess the producer at some point died. So things started getting like. Well, yeah, we will get into that. Yeah. 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 So that had a big impact. Um, the show was originally directed by Julie Tamar until she eventually walked away from the project. Mm-hmm. And Philip William McKinley was then added as a consultant after Tamar left. Consultant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. In in quotations. Um, choreography was done by Daniel Ez- Ezrelo. 
with mm-hmm. additional choreography by Chase Brock. And mm-hmm. as a former designer myself, I'm going to quickly shout out the designers. Yeah. Scenic design by George Sipen, a costume design by Yoko Ishioka, and lighting design by Donald Holder. There you go. Yeah, and that's uh, that's our production team on here. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like this is a big group of people. Lots, a lot of people in there. I mean, we all know Bono and the Edge. Denny does not have to read their bios because that would just be a long thing. Of they're very famous people. Just look them up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Julie Taymor, we are saving for Lion King, so don't worry. We will get to her. She will get her proper acknowledgement because she is a. She was the first female director to win the Tony Award. Yeah, and I mean, Best Direction. So she she has she has quite a resume. Even if people are less familiar with like uh, the people behind musicals and that kind of stuff, I feel like Julie Taymor is a name that's pretty well known. Yes, exactly. Well, why don't I get into this production history, Denny? Okay, so work on this musical began in August 2002 when Marvel announced that Tony Adams would produce a stage musical based on the Spider-Man comics. Adams assembled the creative team, which included Bono and The Edge, who in turn requested that Tony award-winning director from The Lion King, Julie Taymor, be brought on as the director of the piece. That was one of their one conditions they stuck to. Apparently, according to recent news sources, the band Imagine Dragons actually produced demos for the project. But the partnership did not prove fruitful, and, and the music was used in their future album. It is believed that their 2012 hit song, Radioactive, is a very clear hangover from this failed partnership. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is very surprising, but I could see that actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, if you go through their albums, there are a few songs that are like Spider Man y. So they're like, hmm. Wow. Yeah. So then in October 2005, Adam suffered a stroke while the creative team was assembled to sign contracts. And he died two days later. Undeterred, the Spider Man team decided to go on. Uh, with Adams' partner, David Garfinkel, uh, as lead producer. Garfinkel, who was a successful entertainment lawyer, had little experience producing musicals. And he ceded artistic decisions to Tamor, who has, uh, has been noted for being a perfectionist. That will come into a problem later on. While readings of the musical were held beginning in 2007, the production was delayed several times due to Taymor's perfectionist drive. By early 2009, the Broadway budget and production costs had ran $25 million into debt. And this resulted in the work being suspended. In March 2009, the budget was reported uh, being a record-breaking $52 million. Yeah. And then Disney acquired Marvel Comics in 2009, but made no effort to assume control of Spider-Man. Or help the production financially. <laughs> they were like, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> so in late 2009, Bono asked Michael Cole to step in as producer. And by May 2010, Cole had raised the money to proceed with the project. But the musical scheduled opening at the Foxwoods Theater in February 2010 was delayed again until fundraising could be completed. Uh, this delay resulted in both uh, Evan Rachel Wood and Alan Cumming, who have been cast as Mary Jane Watson and the Green Goblin departed the project. Alan Cummings says he really dodged a bullet on this one. So by 20, November 2010, the production was estimated to cost $65 million, with apparently it costing $1 million per week. 
a lot of money here. Uh, oh. While in rehearsal, two stunt doubles were injured during various flying sequences. One of the injuries uh, occurred when Spider-Man stunt double Kevin Aubin uh, broke both his wrists. And the other injury uh, was when another actor had broken his feet on the same move from uh, from a month earlier. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, as a result of these issues, the safety inspectors from the New York State Department of Labor reviewed these scenes in the show. We'll get more into that later on. Uh, due, due to the technical requirements of the production, like Titanic the Musical, there were no out-of-town tryouts. It had to all be done in New York and on Broadway. Uh, the first preview occurred on November 28th, uh, 2010. During the during that first show, actress Natalie Mendoza, who originated the role of Arachne, suffered a concussion when she was struck on the head by equipment in the wings. She did not report the incident uh, to the producers, and she appeared in the second performance, even though her doctor advised against it, uh, because the role involved several flying sequences, which included one in which she was spun upside down, which when you have a concussion is not a good thing to do. Uh, on on, um, November 30th, Mendoza finally reported her initial injury. She was continually feeling ill. Her understudy, America Olivio, played the role during her two-week absence. During the December 20th preview performance, Christopher uh, Turney was injured and hospitalized when he free-fell 21 feet, or or 6.4 meters, off a piece of scenery and into the orchestra pit because his harness was not connected to the safety cord. The performance ended prematurely that night, but resumed performances on December 23rd after reverses for stricter safety procedures involving the harnesses occurred. Tierney was hospitalized at the Bellevue Hospital Center and was released from rehabilitation on January 2011. This accident resulted in Mendoza suspending her performance as Arachne, and on December 30th, she announced her permanent withdrawal from the show. Smart move. She was replaced by TV Carpo, uh, with Olivio uh, remaining on as the understudy for Arachne. Due to the cast injuries and more creative problems, the official opening was again pushed back to late in February 2011 to provide more time for Tamor and the producers to fix Act 2, as they felt it had serious storytelling problems that needed to be fixed through further rewrites, edits, and inserting new music. Oh, yeah, you don't think? Right? Exactly. (laughs) Right, right, right. Uh, during this time, uh, playwright Roberto Agreri Sacasa was asked by <laughs> producers to help rewrite the script as he had written several Spider-Man comics and had revised the book for, their, for the production of It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, which was a notorious flop during its time when it came to Broadway. <laughs> While the opening was pushed back, most of the major theater critics published their reviews of the first version on February 7th, 2011 due to their opinion that they should not wait for the official opening due to the ever-expanding preview period and their frustration at the rising ticket prices. Nearly all reviews were strongly negative. (laughs) Uh, Also in February, the New York State Department of Labor released their review, which cited the show for two workplace safety violations. In March 2011, the United States Occupational Safety and Health Administration fined the show $12,600 for three serious safety violations. During the March 16th uh, performance, Carpo reportedly hurt her neck and had to leave the uh, production for two weeks. Understudy America Oliva once again assumed the role of Arachne. The opening was delayed twice more, and due to the growing rift between the creative team and producers, Tamor left 
project while retaining her original credits. Ultimately, the production was shut down from April 19th to May 11th, 2011, with Philip William McKinley joining the show as a consultant. And Chase Brock joined as, as an additional choreographer. During this uh, shutdown period, the new creative team implemented major changes and edits, resulting in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark 2.0, as it's being dubbed. Uh, also during the shutdown, Tyranny returned to the show. Yay. Uh, previews uh, re uh, resumed again on May the 12th. The show finally opened on June 14, 2011. The opening night cast included Reeve Kearney as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, Jennifer Damiano as Mary Jean Watson, Patrick Page as Norman Osborn slash Green Goblin, TV Carpo as Arachne, Michael Mullerin as J. Jonah Jameson, Ken Marks as ben, Uncle Ben Parker, Isabel Keating as Aunt May Parker, and my, Matt Kaplan as school bully Flash Thompson. And, uh, and, also, and also we have Lauren Beth Wells as Osborne's wife, Emily. This new version received slightly improved reviews from the original uh, version. Bono and the Edge's score was almost universally panned, while Patrick Page's Green Goblin and the stunning visuals received the most praise from critics. In the show's first incarnation, the average uh, critic rating was an F+, while the revised version garnered an average score of C+. So it went up a few percentage points. Uh, the musical was nominated for two Tony Awards for Best Costume and Best Scenic Design, but failed to win any. Now, you would think this would be a death knell for the show, but no. Uh, despite the poor reviews and bad publicity, Spider-Man proved to be successful at times at the box office. During his first full week run of shows, Spider-Man had the highest grossing uh, 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 score on Broadway with a total of $1,588,514. Spider-Man continued to sell reasonably well with ticket sales improving during the summer. About half of its audience came from beyond the New York metropolitan area, including many foreign tourists. In November, the producer stated that the show earned about $100,000 to $300,000 in net income each week, which means Spider-Man would have to continue to play for at least five years to recoup its $75 million budget. Yeah, uphill mound. Oh, yeah, that's brutal. Yeah. Uh, apparently, producers discussed adding new scenes to perhaps new songs each year to persuade fans to attend it again as a whole new comic issue. This idea was ultimately dropped. Thank God, because you don't do that when you open the musical. <laughs> no, that's so stupid. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, the first week of January 2012, the Broadway League reported that the show had taken in $2,941,790 in ticket sales the week before. The highest grossing single gross of any show in Broadway history. So good for them. But by 2013, sales had begun to falter, and during a performance on August 15, 2013, actor Daniel Curry, who was playing a villain as well as a Spider-Man stunt double, was hurt by apparently being pinned under a piece of equipment and suffering leg trauma. Yes. Ongoing injuries here. Not good, people. Not good. On November 19, 2013, producers announced the show would close on January 4, 2014, setting falling, falling ticket sales and no longer being able to get injury insurance for production as reasons uh, to close the show. Despite having run for three years on Broadway, the production failed to make back a $75 million budget. 
and investors reportedly lost at least $60 million. Wow. Yeah. Spider-Man, the most profitable superhero on the planet. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Now, this isn't the end, though, because there are other productions that were planned, including a Las Vegas production, a mm. London and Hamburg Arena production, which would lead to a wider arena touring production, but ultimately none of those productions came to fruition. Thus ends the production history. Wow. Yeah. Oh, boy. Spider-Man. You know what? Cutting Arachne would have saved a few injuries. I would say so. Yeah. I would say okay. so. There's probably a few things there. Like, because the thing of, like, when you do a musical like this one, don't do it. Because part of there's a reason why Spider-Man wasn't made into a film in 2002. Because they couldn't do the swinging scenes right. And there's no easy way to make those swinging scenes work. And you could see they were trying to make it so it looked seamless. But it's like, no, you have to see the harness. You have to see the safety netting. There's also stuff you have to do to make it safe on stage. Also, can I go back for a second? Did you just say, if you're going to do a musical like this, don't do it? Yeah. <laughs> don't do it because you can't do it right. Like people won't watch mediocre stunts. Part part of no. the, the appeal of the movies is the stunt work with the with the swing actor, particularly the first movie. That first movie was amazing for the fact that we actually got to see Spider-Man swinging through the streets realistically. Yeah. Like it was incredible. I remember seeing that first one in theaters. It was outstanding. Like it, it was great. I mean it was campy. I mean, the fact we get the Green Goblin going, we'll meet again, Spider-Man! Or the whole, go for the heart. The heart! Yeah, you know, I don't think yeah. if you're going to do a superhero musical, mm-hmm. um, I think they can't, whatever superhero you're focusing on, they mm-hmm. can't have, like, crazy superpowers, like Spider-Man does. Yes. Uh, especially not aerial things like we've talked about spider-man superman they had musicals but the ones that didn't make the cutting room floor like the captain america one and batman i think those would have been better much more choices and much safer that's for sure much safer and i mean like yeah those ones work uh and they like even like iron man wouldn't work on stage because of the effects that we needed to make the suit and all those effects work but yeah you uh, when you're looking at Adapting that type of material, you've got to look at, well, for at least for a superhero story anyway, what are the powers and abilities that you have to bring to the stage? And yeah, unfortunately, this isn't Cirque du Soleil that can do a whole bunch of yeah. beautiful aerial stunts because they have a bigger space. Broadway theaters are not built for that. Like, mm-hmm. like, the, like the big stunt in Mary Poppins is, is that she flies over the audience once. once. Yeah, and, that's a one trick pony. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The chandelier falls once during the, during the show. Also, like, I I thought it was interesting in like the in the 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 original production 1.0 that Green Goblin's defeated by the end of the first act. I thought about it from like the costume perspective. I'm like he's like whenever he transforms, he's got to get into that costume real quick if it's all in the yeah. same act. Like in the second version, he's at least explosion happens and then we have intermission and that gives him time to get into costume Mm -hmm. yeah it's a very elaborate costume they put patrick cage in Mm -hmm. in a very uncomfortable looking mask i was like that does not look good (laughs) i mean green goblin has proven to be one of the hardest characters to translate from comic book to screen or stage i mean nobody likes the um 
uh, the Willem Dafoe Power Ranger costume. What? You don't like it? I think it's cool. I think it's cool, too. Apparently a lot of people criticized it for not having any emotion in the face. It looked like uh, a Power Ranger. Ah, that's fair. I can see that. But I, yeah. I like it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, then you have the, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 version, which I didn't mind that one as much because I'm like, yeah, if he takes a, a serum that transforms him, sure. Yeah. That logically works for me. Um, but yeah, we will see what he looks like in the new upcoming Spider-Man movie because we know he is coming back. Oh, Ah. It's in the trailer, Danny. It's in the trailer. I know. I, I'm so excited. We I know, see his I, pumpkin bombs. I'm sorry for anybody who's been avoiding the trailers, but oh boy, oh boy, it looks I, good. I'm excited. Oh, it's gonna be ah. So, oh, the the standards are so high. Yeah, we'll see if they live up to those standards. Oh, well, yeah. We boy, what a production. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, let's get back to the musical. Yes. So let's get into our top three songs. So, Danny, what is your number one song? Well, Mac, I I, I want to know your opinion on this. I'll, can I change your formula on its head for a bit and start at my third and work up to the top? Sure. Whatever, whatever way you want to do it. All right. So my number three song in this musical is A Freak Like Me Needs Company. That is on my other list. Yeah, you know what? It's one I could see going either way, but this one I just like. You know what? It's groove. It's funny. I, I don't know. I'm into it. it it's fine. It's not. It's not great, but it's one yeah. of the ones that stuck with me. So I'm like, I'll okay. give it a credit. Okay. Okay. Well, for me, it made my other list because it's so unnecessary introducing other Spider-Man villains here. Like, just focus on the Green Goblin. What should have happened? Is you should have done what what they do in Jekyll and Hyde, where um, Mr. Hyde is hunting down the board of governors that turned him down. It should be that Green Goblin, Norman Osborn, is hunting down the former scientists and picking them off as he tries to figure out who was the leak. Um, and then ultimately he and, and, and then Spider Man is trying to stop him as like mm. he's killing off these scientists. Yeah, and that's what should have happened because for me as a Spider Man fan who knows the history of these villains i was just getting madder when i when i'm like and here's craven the hunter and i'm like no <laughs> craven the hunter is not some genetically spliced person he's, he's a game hunter yeah craven a, a, a carnage is not a genetically spliced person he, he he's a version of the symbiote who's met last with a serial killer like he's not oh. some scientist like the lizard okay lizard i was like okay makes kind of sense Doc, Dr. Dr. Kurt Connors is a scientist and he does mm -hmm. mutate himself because the whole gene splice thing is actually his plot line in the comics as he tries to regrow his arm. But then they brought up that stupid costume and I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this song 
is only on this list for the musicality of it. Like, yeah. I just thought it was a funky song. But it's a very terms, funky song, but I, I just got too mad at it. I'm like, in, no. <laughs> yeah, in terms of the story and like the introduction of the Sinister Six, this is all like plot elements that clearly they just couldn't cut because they were so attached to it and they just yeah. had to make it work. Like yeah. I said before, the Sinister Six was introduced in the second act originally. So yeah. they're like, they had to bring them back. Yeah, we'll just put it all at the same time. Yeah. And all of these villains are, well, some of them are good options for the Sinister Six. Like Electro mm-hmm. is pretty well yeah. known to be in the Sinister Six and the he Lizard. Um, yeah. But yeah, Craven the Hunter is a man. Mm-hmm. What the heck is he doing here? Did they like, so I'm pretty sure they like made the lion on his chest, like actually be a lion. Yeah, I have no idea. The, I yeah. remember during the progressions at one point there's an elephant that runs through when they're talking about Craven the Hunter. I'm like, seriously? It's just so dumb. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it uh, just doesn't work. And for me, I just go, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not a fan of this moment in the show. And the music for me was like, meh. Like, there's a, there was, I'll, I'll, I'll preview now. My whole skip list is like the rest of the score besides the three songs that actually kind of stood out to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And. I, and, and you know what? Kudos to the show for making me learn about a new villain that I didn't realize existed. Yeah, Swarm. Swarm, yeah. I didn't realize there was a, a Nazi B-Man, so thank you, I want, the show. I want that to be the Spider-Man 4 villain. <laughs> Petition for Nazi B-Man for Spider-Man 4. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for that. I'm all for that. So uh, for me, my number three is If the World Should End. Don't think about tomorrow We've only got today There's nothing that I want from you Not a word you have to say You are all I need And all I can defend all I need to hold on to If the world should end I like this song because it's simple yet seductive. It's plucking the strings. It's almost like a spider weaving a web around Peter. Uh, and it's under, and it makes and the song is understandable why Peter would be drawn to this moment of staying in for the night. It's like, yep. Yep, he wants a normal Ned, and Mary Jane is very persuasive, persuasive in this song. And I like this, it's not so freaking angsty. This score is very angsty. It's very much like rock bread. It's like, yeah, all the whole time. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not yeah. for this at all. Um, and this is a quieter moment. It's a moment that actually allows the show to breathe. And I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't know how much I missed a moment to breathe in this show until you actually gave it to me. I'm like, yeah. This is actually a really yeah. beautiful ballad that I, that actually is nice. I do like that song. It it's kind of one of my special mentions. Like it didn't yeah. quite make my list. Um, for mostly like it has like a really good lyric. I heard at one point. I think it's like the moon is luminous for the yeah. wrong reasons. I'm like, yes. ooh, that's a great line. And then mm-hmm. shortly after, it's followed up by "There's no time for sorrow" because there is no such thing as time. And I'm like, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, the lyric. Once again. 
I'll be perfectly honest. This whole show is very problematic to me. So yeah. me trying to find three songs here, I was lucky to find three and I was like decently okay with. <laughs> mm-hmm. So but yeah, it's a good yeah. choice. Thank you. Thank you. What is your number two? My number two is I Just Can't Walk Away, Say It Now. You wait, I won't, I live, I don't. I'll memorize what I have to say. But he doesn't say it anyway. didn't make my list yeah yeah that's all right the, I, I think most of my choices are based on like how i felt about it like as just a song like this one yeah i, I was just like this is beautiful like it's a great duet like it is a good duet it's the moment where um peter and mary jane are trying to figure out like should they still be together yeah um, and since this show is like musically made by Bono and the Edge. Mm-hmm. I kind of try to treat it more like a U2 concert album, yeah. Yeah. I was like, no, this is a great song. I do like this one. Um it, it's a beautiful piece. I like it. I like it. Yeah, like I like it because it is it is a good bit of character development. It it, it is them exploring the situation, which I like quite a bit. I mean, yeah, it also it's a quieter song, which is always good for me. Yeah, basically, it came down to say it now or if the world should end and if the world should end when I on my list. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a great character beat for them to explore. And the music isn't bad. Like, I can still hum, say it now. Like that, like that little motif, I can still hear it playing. So like, it does have some catchy melodic lines to it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like it's a solid bit of character. Once again, like there are moments where they actually do hit the right musical moment. And there are other moments, like we've talked about in the plot description, where they totally missed their mark. Looking at you, Uncle Ben. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, my number two is Picture This. Picture this. Open the eyes, open it up wide. The world changes shape with a color of your the big act one finale song and i like it because i like how this song juxtaposes these two couples you have mary jane and peter who are at the top of their relationship starting off and you have norman and emily at the bottom of the stage about to face a final fall that's gonna that's gonna destroy them uh and you can see one couple forming and the new hope that's there with the picture of this, there's optimism, and then there's the dread of picture what's going to happen to Norman. Because we all know Norman has to become the Green Goblin. Like he, it's one of the most iconic things about the comics. 
So it's it's great that this duet that they have with each other as one's falling, one's rising. And it, the music has this good perpetual drive toward the end of an act. And it's not over the top in, in what they're doing. It's Once again, I like the, the simple work that they do in this. When they get too vague and over the top, it's like, ugh, no, no. Wrong move, musical, wrong move. Spider-Man is not angsty. He is he is a wholesome character. Like like even in um the Amazing Spider-Man series with Andrew Garfield, he he was never angsty teenager. He was nerdy teenager. He was never angsty. And so and so I don't mind them that they got Bono on the edge, but as you said, it's it's almost like they're writing their own album versus mm-hmm. writing a musical about Spider-Man. And so this the song kind of stands it as a nice alternative to that. As as it is a nice way to end Act One, it, it's a good place to end. It's a, it's a good button to the to the first act. Yeah, I this one did not make my list, but it also didn't make my other list. It almost did, almost made Ooh. my bad list. Ooh. Um, I don't know. It's just something about this, like the staging of it. I totally agree. Like this is yeah. a great juxtaposition between the two uh, couples. Yeah. Um, but musically, it just felt too happy for how complex. Like musically, mm. I didn't feel like it juxtaposed, but right. the scene was very great. Yes. Um, and also like going back to my criteria of kind of judging it as like more of a music album, it yeah. just didn't feel like a song that was like I didn't remember this song after I watched it the first time <laughs> and coming back to it. I'm like, why is this the song at the end of the act? Like, I don't mm-hmm. the scene itself as opposed to the music made me feel more about <laughs> yeah, definitely the moment. scene helps set the song. The song is not a scene on its own. It's everything that goes around with the song that makes it as a whole. The reason why it made my list because yeah, the song itself is not overly memorable. It's more as a grouping when you have the staging and the effects of Norman's transformation. It all kind of just accumulates together into a nice end of an act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I don't blame you for putting it there. It's oh, fine. Thank you. Thank you. I'm <laughs> glad you don't blame me for putting that. <laughs> so then, Denny, what is your number one? My number one. And I'm going to bet you're I don't. Hmm, actually, I have no idea how to read this, but my number one is Rise Above. Silence in a crowded room Louder than the loudest tune I hang on every word And you said rise on the Open your eyes oh. And you said Did not make my list. I had a feeling. <laughs> it definitely I mean, is are... not up there with other musical soliloquies like Soliloquy or Javier's Suicide. Yeah. As, again, judging it as more of a um, a musical album, I was like, yeah, this is a great, like, inspiring song. Like, just there's a lot of power here. Like, mm-hmm. it's it it fills that it, with great power comes great responsibility void that i was missing yeah 
So, uh, yeah, no, I very much I very much enjoy the song. Some of the lyrics are a little confusing, like the firemen start the fire and like he's blaming yeah. the system for problems. It's like, what? well, I don't know what that has to do with this because <laughs> your uncle died by a random carjacker. But I like the yeah. song. Yeah, right. Well, that's exactly. Yeah. For me, I went. It almost reminded me of this, actually. It was almost on the other lips. I was like. Yeah, just it, actually, let me pull up the lyrics again because I have the lyrics out. Mm. The lyrics aren't horrible lyrics. Like, uh, 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 like it starts with and you see rise above, open your eye, and you said rise above, but I can't, I can't. How long will it take before these feelings go away? How much longer do I wait? And are there any real answers anyway? Your silence in a crowded room, louder than the loudest tune. I hang on every word, and you said, rise above, open your eyes, and you said, rise above, but I can't, I can't. I miss you and everything. I was too fast traveling to take you in. I know silence uh, is, is is no crime, but I wish I could hear you fill it up one more time. I'm like, that actually is decent lyrics, because it's Spider-Man grieving. Like, I, 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 like, lyrically, it actually sounds okay. I think it's when the music gets mixed in, and it's the... And I will rise above. <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like a like what's his name the the guy who said no not not Sam Mendes the guy who sang the opening to to, to Spectre in Bond. Uh, won, oh, was that won the Oscar for it? Um, was that that wasn't Sam Smith? Was it? Was it Sam Smith? I don't know who's check. doing which Bond movie anymore. Yeah, yeah, Sam Smith, writing on the wall. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it just didn't work. And once again, that felt too angsty for Bond, and this feels too angsty for Spider-Man. Like, like I get the point that he's grieving, but in that case, the music should not be this rise above rock and roll. <laughs> like, it should be sympathetic. It should be quiet. It should like a like, different way to go about the music. Your lyrics are not the problem. It's when you add in this music that makes it too angsty. For me, that's why I went, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, but it wasn't the worst song of Thunder, so that's why I didn't make my other list. It's in the yeah. middle where I'm like, because the, the lyrics are the same in Grace here. Yeah. As far I, as I'm going. For me, this this one musically just felt mm-hmm. inspiring. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is the transition from him being this selfish jerk to yes. a, a a proper superhero. So right. that's, that's, yeah, that's what, fair. for me, that's it fair. is. That's true. So now, Jenny, I'm going to surprise you with my number one. Because it is angsty and rocky. <gasps> you have deceived me. Exactly. It is pull the trigger. I am surprised by this, actually. Very ah, surprised. Yeah, I like it because it builds up Norma's drive to become the Green Goblin. This is the one song where I don't mind it being angsty and vague and broad because it's like it, it, it reflects Norman's pressure and paranoia. Like it, that, it, you feel claustrophobic in that song. You feel the feeling, you know, it's like right there in your chest. It's like, like pull the trigger. 
I got type of thing there. You feel it in, in your body when you watch that. And you feel Norman's frustration and fear of failure. Like, I, it worked for me that this moment. And, it, it, and, it's, and it, I love how it displays this journey of a good person who gets corrupted by a system. Because everybody, unfortunately, as Dwight D. Eisenhower um, told us in, 19, in the 1950s when he left the presidency, beware of the military-industrial complex. And Norman falls trapped into it. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot with technology. And for me, I go, that's Norman Osborne. Nor- Norman Osborne's original concept is to save people from global warming and catastrophe. You have to do some gene splicing. But also that gets corrupted. Yeah. And he falls. Trapped into it so i'm like that actually is a pretty good character motivation and the way they naturally build that into his paranoia about spider-man the fact that his work is out there is like that'll actually logically builds and make sense to me you've actually done a decent job building this up so i'm actually really impressed here um so yeah pull the trigger was surprisingly my number one i was like this was the one moment your rock concept actually worked really well interesting mm-hmm. all right yeah, I understand. Yeah. yeah. All right. So bottom three list. Danny, what is your number one on your bottom list? Once again, I'm going to. Hmm. No, I'm, I'm going to start at the three on this one again, too. OK. Um, My third for worst songs in this musical is Turn Off the Dark. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, yeah, this, this whole musical is just bad at this point. I, Nothing else. Every, the whole score can go on this list. And hey, let me. Everything with the Rackney, I swear to gosh, it's tainting this musical. <laughs> so, She's a curse. Yeah. So, like, just Arachne being here again just muddles this the theme of like genetics and science. Like, yeah. why are we adding this? I don't know, mystical realm. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, it makes sense if she's like a dream figment of Spider-Man's imagination, but they never set her up as a dream figment. It's more she just keeps showing up. It's I mean, like, even even for like people who are into the comics, like Arachne's not a huge character that gets brought up in many stories that I'm I aware don't think of Arachne, anyway. Is Arachne even in the Spider-Man comics? Arachne is technically a, a, a member of the Spider-Man lore, yes, but... Oh, wow! Hardly, hardly used. Okay, okay. Yeah, for me, I just go... I, I think it was more the aerial flipping and acrobatic work they did in this song. I was like, okay. The spectacle was saving this song from being a horrible song. When yeah. you take away the spectacle and you just listen to it, it's like, ugh. Yeah, like, what it, yeah, let's look up the lyrics for that one. Uh, 
Yeah, you know what? That is a very good point. Like that is that is what this song was was an aerial show. Yeah, 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 yeah. So here, between regret and despair, between faith and fear, between the longing and necessity, in the shadowlands and the shadowlands, turn off the dark, turn off the dark. Between the looking and the seeing, between the hurting and the weeping, between the waking and the sleeping, you are, uh, are 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 you sleeping? Turn off the dark, turn off the dark, turn off the dark. I've been waiting, I've been waiting. Like seriously, there's a lot of freaking repetition here. And like, and, and that screams of like pop song because a pop song, not to besmirch the top forty realm, but their music is a lot of simple, simple verse, back to a catchy chorus, second verse that's simple, not overly complex, back to another chorus and the song. Musicals and, have a much different structure; they are required to further the story, mm-hmm. and this song does not further the story. And I consider myself a pop guy. I love pop yeah. music. Yeah. And this is just so boring. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, for me, Denny, my uh, pick is for number one is Bullying by Numbers. Bullying by Numbers. Did I make your list too? That was my number one as well. Okay, that's my number one. Oh, yeah. it's so dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb and it's so generic. Yes. I, 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 I leave two sentences. I'm like, it's so generic and over the top in the worst ways. It's like the adults think think this is what bullies do nowadays. Yes. I hate it. <laughs> oh, God. It's I mean, like... the choreography is really cool. That slow-mo falling and pushed around. Like Once again, the spectacle is cool, but the music behind it is like, bullying by numbers. It's like, That's... We get it. Peter is an awkward loser. The song yeah. is musically irritating and redundant. <laughs> it is. It, I mean, it's like, you don't need a song to display this. Just have the bullies trip Spider-Man as he leaves the scene. That tells you right there everything you need to know. And then give that time to Uncle Ben so Uncle Ben has a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uncle Ben does not sing once in this damn show. It's like, seriously? Your major influence does not have a song. The fact that Arachne shows up more than Uncle Ben when it should be Uncle Ben that's showing up in these dream sequences to Peter. You know what? I was just about to say that. What if it had been Uncle Ben that's coming back and be like, hey, Peter, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> right? Uh, well, Uncle I mean, that's Ben. That's what they do in the movies. Uh, I, 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 Uncle Ben shows up in the second one, in the dream sequence. Remember where he's like, take my hand, Peter. And Peter's like, I can't, Uncle Ben. I have to live my life. <laughs> Are we sure that Spider-Man's never been angsty? <laughs> Well, maybe he has, but Tobey Maguire didn't play him as angsty. <laughs> well, except for Spider-Man 3 when he gets that awful dance break sequence. That was Once again, to- he's or in that the wasn't Toby's suit, fault. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no. Oh, oh yeah. Bullying by numbers was just so generic and dumb. And I remember being like, seriously, we're giving time to this musical number. I feel like it's only in there for the dance. For the dance yeah. of the, the slow-mo, like the... There... There's a lot of this musical, which they were just so clearly attached to from their first passes. Yeah. It's like, ah, 
no, this this musical really could have been good if it could not, have been good. Not still dangerous, but it yes. could have been it could have been good. Yeah, like I mean, once again, you and I have come up with better plot fixes that could have worked. Danny, we yeah. should write in Danny, you and I should write an alternative draft. Uh, let me let me add a, a notch to the number of times you've suggested you and I should write a musical. <laughs> Danny, I'm still on board for us writing a musical. <laughs> one of these days, Danny. One of these days. <laughs> oh. What is your number two, Danny? My number two was Spider-Man. That was my number two. My gosh, Mac, we're so in sync. I know. <laughs> oh, we just so we've got a Spider-Man saving New York City montage from the Sinister Six sung by the citizens. It, it it's, it's oh, gosh, we get it. He, he catches them all. It's great. We I mean, it's good that we get to see all the Sinister Six being caught. Yeah. But again, this is another one of the songs. Just is like, I don't want to listen to this. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. I mean, what would even funnier is if they actually started singing the Spider-Man theme. Yeah. Like, that would have been good for them to, like, re rehash the Spider-Man theme because it shows New York coming together, cheering on this guy. And that's and that's the whole thing of Spider-Man. Is he, he's, he's very capable of turning the mob in his favor by doing a few heroic things. Um, they all seem to like him. So, <laughs> me, I'm just like, yeah, like, like, like yeah, this song just is boring like yeah. for a big group number about spider-man winning the day and beating all these villains it's kind of boring <laughs> i although i did have a laugh at the very end of the song there's just like this awful falsetto it's just like spider-man <laughs> <laughs> that is true this is awful oh, i thought yeah. that was so funny i want to what these lyrics are because they're just so boring and i mean you would think that it wouldn't be the case but it is yeah see i can't even find the damn lyrics <laughs> I keep getting the Spider-Man theme lyrics. <laughs> yeah, the song's so bad, it's not worth anyone having recorded the lyrics down. Basically. And yeah, I mean, like, yeah. The both both this this song, Spider-Man, and Bullying by Numbers, neither of them made the cut to like the cast soundtrack. So like clearly mm -hmm. these songs were also deemed less good. I mean, can we also talk about the album for a minute? Yes. They didn't structure the album like the damn musical. I it's know. Out of order. Like, you can't what the... the bloody story. I I was so because so you got like New York debut as the first song. I'm like, is this like the the opening track? Like when the show started? The overture. Yeah, the overture. And then when I watched the show, I was like, oh no, this is like way later. Oh, yeah. he's saving everybody. Oh, now it makes sense. Yeah. Like, I, like, why did they release that album with the songs out of order? Makes no bloody sense to me. I'm like, it is when you release a musical album, you don't just mix and match the tracks. You, yeah, because it's telling a story. Like, the, and and I think that supports just how clear it is that this show was not run by people who understand musicals fully. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. It totally wasn't. It totally, totally wasn't. Oh, I'm so glad that we had the same bad list. <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, we did. I, I don't know your number three yet, though. Well, my number three was um your number one, the, uh, the A Freak Like Me Needs Company. Ah, okay. Oh, and that wasn't my number one. That was my number three in the top. Right. Okay, but yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Well, Danny, let's get into final thoughts. Does this musical still have a place today? Should it ever be revived? Hell no. Sorry <laughs> for the swearing. God. No, don't worry. I, I No, all good. Yeah, <laughs> for me, I also say hell no. Because... <laughs> Never bring this musical back. No, it's it's. I don't like this. I don't like this interpretation of Spider Man. Like Spider Man's this wholesome character, and you made him into some angsty, cool rock piece, and it's like that doesn't fit. What? When did when did the Amazing Spider Man come out? Like with Ooh, uh, Andrew Garfield? Yeah. Hold on, let me tell you. Because I feel like they that twenty twelve twenty twelve. Okay. So, you know what? Maybe those movies were kind of inspired by the musical because I feel like those two movies with Andrew Garfield did the same kind of thing where they like just like they took out the nerd and Andrew Garfield was really cool. Though, to the yeah. credit of the musical, they did still make him a nerd at the beginning. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah. So the Spider-Man 4 with Sam Raimi was canceled in 2010. And then by 2011, they were back in production uh, to get this thing going again. So really... Yeah, they kind of mirror each other. And I mean, the actor who plays Spider-Man, Reed Preeby, looks like Andrew Garfield. That is true. So I definitely can see some some crossover here. And I'm like, because it all it all stems from when the Dark Knight came and everybody thought their superheroes had to be realistic and angsty. And I'm like, no, some superheroes like Marvel figured it out. You don't have to be that way. <laughs> the joy of Tom Holland's Spider-Man is that, yes, he is dark and he has complexity to him but he's not an angsty character he is still a wholesome neighborhood spider-man yeah he still has that uh, he, he still has that little bit of whimsicalness about him and that's the joy of spider-man is he's the balance between real world problems of i can't pay my rent i can't i can't get the girl and oh i'm so cool because i get to be spider-man yeah yeah and, yeah and and i i like what we're doing now with spider-man and so so here, here's something I kind of wanted to like draw a spotlight on um, mm -hmm. with how the Spider-Man stories are kind of nowadays. Um, so like we've had we had this story. We had mm -hmm. um, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Yeah. And all of these are about some nerdy kid kind of building confidence and kind of becoming somebody. But yeah. that that's has changed now especially with the tom holland spider-man like mm -hmm. he has friends he has a support group yeah, yeah um yeah and the only thing with him that kind of retains that same personality is that he's he's awkward he's a kid yeah he's awkward and i think that's exactly it is that peter parker now because nerd culture is more accepted yay mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's cool now it's cool now to like superheroes and comic books yeah, like they have it, they have it successfully adapted the character into this new age of someone who is just socially awkward. He, he he's, he's a little bit gawky, you know, like, like he's kind of there. But yeah, he's not like the outcast like he was in the original series, which I'm like, that's a okay because in the original 2002 Spider Man, we see Tobey Maguire's bus driver even hating on him when he yeah you know, well, yeah he pulls the bus away. <laughs> and Peter has to chase after the bus and the bus driver is shown laughing. 
It's Lucio and laughing. It's when Mary Jane tells him to stop the bus. Oh, I forgot about that. That's funny. But in this new one, that, that's not the case anymore because now nerd culture is accepted. Um, yeah, so this is a really weird transitionary Spider-Man character. And I just go, any musical that requires the, um, this much pain and injury from your cast to the point where they won't even insure you for injury insurance anymore tells you right there this musical should have died a long time ago. Like, maybe after the original producer, Sally, departed us, uh, maybe that would have been a, a omen of maybe we don't proceed. Mm-hmm. Clearly, somebody said the name of the Scottish play in the rehearsal room or somewhere along the way and cursed that show. Yeah. Uh, to be what it is. I do want to read that book, though, that you, that you mentioned, Danny, that the, the oh, yes. writer wrote. The Song of Spider Man. Yes. Yeah, let me see if I can find it or, on, on Apple Books. Or, sorry, it might have been called The Song of the Spider. Hold on. Where is this here? Uh, Nope, Song of Spider-Man, the inside story of the most controversial musical in Broadway history. Also, fun little fact, you know how in uh, how in comics there's like different universes like yeah. Earth 616 and things like that? Mm-hmm. The Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark has its own universe in the Marvel canon. Mm-hmm. It is considered Earth 11714. Ha! That is too cool. Yeah, I'm now just looking into it now. Like, what is this specific Earth? And, uh, nope, there's uh, only one mention. I'm going to assume that this specifically is the Earth that this musical takes place on. Okay. That is too cool that it's got its own unit Spider- Spider-Man multiverse thing. Yeah. Maybe now that the multiverse is being cracked open in the MCU, we'll have a musical Spider-Man show up. If Arachne shows up in the gosh dang new movie, oh, I'm going to wreak havoc. You see Kenny in the theater. That's it. I'm out. I'm no longer uh, a Spider-Man fan. No, it's done. We're done. We're done, We're everybody. Done. We're done. Yeah. But yeah, there we go, everybody. That was our adventures into the realm of Spider-Man. So, yes. uh, Jenny, let's close out this episode and swing on into the future. And rise above um, with our send-off. So, Danny, tell us, where can we find and follow you, you wonderful man? Well, hi there, everybody. I've been Danny Dicely. I run the Dicely D&D YouTube channel. Uh, if you're wanting to learn how to play Dungeons & Dragons, I've got you covered with my intro series on the YouTube channel, as well as a podcast called Speak Dicely. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. As And I'm also now running a... Uh, a live streamed campaign where if you just want to watch Dungeons and Dragons be played, find me on Twitch, Dicely D&D. Every other Saturday we do that live. And um, yeah, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure being on the show here, Mac. Oh, thank you, Denny. Thank I sh- you. I should also mention I'm now on TikTok as well, and I've been having some fun <laughs> with that. That is amazing. Denny, that is absolutely amazing. Bravo, sir. You have beat me to TikTok. I have still <gasps> not done the TikTok one. Dicely D&D everywhere. All the social media. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, perfect. Well, Denny, thank you again for coming on to do this and and bringing us this musical that I think will probably be our most controversial pick uh, <laughs> of a musical that may probably divide fans if, they are ever, if there are any fans of Spider-Man out there listening. Who knows? Mm. Um, let us know your thoughts. But in the meantime, we want to give a big shout out. Thank you to Mr. Brody Weld for his fantastic theme music. 
listen to his albums and his score and his, and his tracks on Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp, and all other places you listen to your music. Uh, listen to his favorite track of mine, which is Home Decor, where he raps about uh, fatherhood and household furniture while, while being trapped inside during a pandemic. It's a hoot. Nice. Uh, you can find and follow before the downbeat on all social media platforms. You can uh, follow us on Patreon, where Autumn and I do our various extra add-ons from it, like, like a movie musical commentaries, monthly theater news reviews, and top 10 uh, lists. Maybe we'll even do a top 10 uh, superheroes who um, who should get their own musical. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so check all that good stuff out. You can find me at Mackenzie Horner on all social media platforms. If you want to check out some other fun antics I do, check me out on Cup of Hemlock Theater's uh, feed, where we talk all types of fun things, uh, other into the theater, such as plays, artist interviews, and all types of fun stuff like that. Uh, other than that, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Before the Downbeat. Thanks. Bye! Bye-bye. And we will rise above.